Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Perspicacity. Perspicacity. Yes, that's your SAT word of the day. Nothing personal. It's the quality of having ready insight into things or being shrewd. Perspicacity. Little shout out to Daniel Friedman, loyal listener. Thank you, Daniel. You know I love words of the day, and this is a perfect one. The thing about being perspicacious, having the ability to show perspicacity is it true that people can look as though they've got insight can people look as though they are showing shrewdness when in fact they aren't when in fact they're just talking about things that you don't know or don't understand or they sound like they know what they're talking about but in fact they don't I would choose to say that if I can label someone as showing perspicacity that I am able to see through whether or not they have layers of being disingenuous. So many words of the day. Keep them coming, Daniel. But we got a lot to get to, so I'm going to go back to uh, non-SAT words because I've got a story for you. So you have to picture how it works at Nothing Personal. We put a show together. We think of things that will be interesting to you and to me. And then, if so possible, to Coca. And if you're watching this, by the way, you'll notice a new light that we talked about. Remember, we gave credit to Will Manso. Well, the new light came. Let there be light. Although Coca has not mentioned that there's even a shred of difference. But I think there is. If you're listening on Apple or wherever you are and you've rated and reviewed, five-starred it. Thank you. And don't forget to tell a friend. On your marks. Get set. We've got baseball coming in May. Huh? You didn't hear me? We've got baseball coming in May. There was a huge scoop on ESPN by Mr. JP. I try not to say his name. He doesn't like me. But I acknowledge credit. All 30 teams. I'm leaving on a jet plane don't know when i'll come back again don't know when i'll be back again that's the plan get all 30 teams on a plane go to arizona sequester themselves inside hotels be driven from hotels to various spring training facilities have spring training for a couple of weeks and then start playing games that count double headers we're talking triple headers We're going to play at all spring training sites from morning till night. We're going to have a regular season. We're going to pay the players. That was Boris talking. And everything's going to be great because baseball is what's used to heal this nation. 
So before everyone goes crazy and starts texting me like they have, hey, come on the show and talk about this. Hey, you're going to spend all of nothing personal talking about this, aren't you? This is amazing. Baseball showing leadership. Someone even tweeted at me at David P. Sampson and said, this is the type of leadership that was lacking when you were a part of baseball, to which I say thank you very little. Let me tell you what leadership is. Leadership is coming up with a plethora of plans, going through them from A to Z, figuring out the impact of those plans. Yeah, those are called impact studies. Then getting buy-in to the plans that you want to do, then announcing them, then putting them into action. Well, what happened was MLB is doing exactly what it should be doing. It is thinking of different ways to play ball. That's what baseball is for, to play ball. The commissioner has very smart people around him, and they're coming up with all sorts of possibilities, knowing deep down that there's a real chance there's no baseball in 2020, knowing that they can't do anything to control the spread of coronavirus other than practice social distancing, other than being responsible, other than having a pipeline to health officials, local, federal, state, and government health officials, yes, yes, health officials. But what happens when there's a leak? It's very frustrating when I'd be in meetings and I'd be in meetings where we'd be talking about what to me were very serious things, but at the end of the day, were sports business items, not life or death. And no sooner are we discussing items, boom, it's leaked to the press. Now, sometimes the commissioner's office, we would plan leaks. We've talked to you about that, what it means to plan a leak. Planning leaks, sometimes it's used as like a trial balloon. Hey, we're going to leak the fact that we're thinking of maybe having games in London. This is a couple years ago, three, four years ago, when the International Committee was talking about it, five, six years ago even. We're going to leak the fact that there may be a change in free agency. Or we're going to leak the fact that there may be a player signed by a certain team. Those are purposeful leaks that I completely agree with, and they are necessary and strategic. Then they're the type of leaks that are absolutely done for the sole purpose of getting clicks and credit when you know very well that the source of those leaks is giving you information that you know is not definitive. You know for sure that you have to run with because it was given to you, but you also know the person who gave it to you was being wholly irresponsible. As a member of the media now, I get it. If I get information, I'm not a story breaker, but if I got information that I knew was true, though irresponsible, I'd have to think about who I'd give it to. Which reporter would I want to give it to to tweet it out so they would get the credit? First brought to you by at blank. I get it. But then what happens is you get a frenzy of activity. People getting excited in what I call FH, false hope. The worst thing during a pandemic and the worst thing, frankly, during any bad event in your life or during something negative that's going on, on or off the field, is when someone gives you false hope. It's like a mirage in a desert. What's wrong with people believing that there's water in the distance? There's nothing wrong with it until they get there and realize that there was never any water there. So when you give false hope to millions of fans in the United States and around the world that baseball is coming back and there's a fully baked plan, to me, that's an issue. 
one of the many things discussed by baseball would be a one city possible solution to having a season. Fly everyone in, quarantine everyone, and then have a season. So ESPN went with it. And guess what happened? Not even 12 hours later, Major League Baseball had to take the time to release a multi-paragraph statement stepping back from that rumor and saying that everyone playing in Phoenix starting mid-May is only one possibility. And frankly, it has not truly been discussed in full. Now, why is that? Well, where do I start? Let's start at the top and end at the bottom. Top. In order to have baseball in Arizona, you need every player to be tested every day. In order for every player to be tested every day, you need to have tests available. I have a question for all the loyal Nothing Personal listeners out there. How many people do you know who have been tested? Take a look to your left. Take a look to your right. Look up. Look down. Anybody? Now picture a world where no matter where you look, those people have been tested. You have a scratchy throat, boom, you got yourself a test. You have the sniffles, test me. A little cough, (coughs) it's a test. You think you're spiking at a buck 1.2, you've got yourself a test. That's not happening right now. You think baseball wants to be responsible for taking test kits away from actual symptomatic people where there's a shortage of tests in order to test players? Let's do some math now, quickly. What's um, 25 players times 30? Yeah, you're right. There won't be 25. There'll be more. Let's say 30 players times 30, 900. Let's say at a minimum 900 tests per day, every day for the whole season. That's problem one, until you promise me that everyone's got tests and I can look my fans right in the eyes, look my sponsors in the face and say, hey, we're coming back to play, but we have the health of this country as the first priority. If you're saying that and then you're taking tests away, you don't. Number two, let's look at the math. I just did 30 times 30. I don't know why I did 30 times 30. Coco, why was I doing 30 times 30 for 900? There's 30 players, 30 teams. That's the number of players per day. Landed it, landed the plane. Guess what? Coaches, manager, (coughs) training staff, strength and conditioning staff, clubhouse attendants, hotel workers, chefs, Drivers, security people, ah, broadcasters, technicians, producers, directors, oi, such suffering. My head is full of suffering. Give me a buffering. That's the headache involved in trying to quarantine a community when you're not just thinking about your players. So all the people out there telling you that all you have to do is test the players, They're wrong. You have to quarantine and test every single person who is going to be in that quote unquote bubble. And it's not just players. So now instead of 30 people per team, let's even say it's 100 people. And that's a little light because I'm still not counting families. Will all players be willing to move to Arizona for four months and play a season in order for them not to see their family? 
From my experience in 18 years, I'd say 50% would be willing to do that and the other 50% would not. And that's of the people who have families. So it's impossible for me to believe that all players will agree to be sequestered without families. So if you allow families to be sequestered with the players in Arizona, let's multiply all of the numbers I gave you times another two, three, or four. Oh, one more thing on that. What about an employee of the team? Let's just say I'm just throwing out something here. Let's say you've got an employee who is somehow immunocompromised. Let's say with Crohn's, colitis, diabetes, cancer. You are going to have that employee subject to quarantine and around players not practicing social distancing. Is that your plan? Let's keep going. What about the games? Part of this plan that was leaked says the games would be played practicing social distancing. Hear it and believe it. No players in the dugouts. The players would sit six feet apart in the stands, which would be empty. Let's hope they all sit behind netting. What about the umpires? The umpires... Well, you can't have the first base umpire very close to the first baseman, and you certainly can't have the first baseman very close to a runner on first. What about a tag play if I steal second, even though in the game of grip it and rip it, where launch angle and home runs are all that matter, I guess I'm really not going to steal bases, but let's just say I do a hit and run, which I even forgot what the sign is. I'm touching my nose and my cheek and my chin and my nose and my cheek and my chin. That used to be the sign for hit and run, and then it just disappeared from baseball. But let's say you do that. Tag plays, that's not six feet apart. What about a pop-up? I got it. I got it. That's what you do, right? Except what I learned from my English teacher in ninth grade, freshman baseball. His name is Harry Bald. That's A-U-L-D, not A-L-D. Although he was A-L-D, actually, even back then. We had to say, I have it. So there's a pop-up. I have it. Okay, that's good. Now here's the real kicker. I was thinking about how catches work. Now, to say that I was thinking about it is really to say that Coco was thinking about it and whispering it to me and saying, by the way, if you're not going to mention the fact that every player touches a baseball, how's that going to work with sweaty, disgusting hands where the virus lives that way? Coco, I'm not even going to mention the fact that every player needs to touch the baseball. That is so obvious. Let's talk about things that maybe people weren't thinking of, like pop-ups. Now, how would that work, that game exactly? Well, they could have robot umps. We've tried to do robot umps for years. That would take away all the issues with strikes and balls. They already said that the umpires probably won't stand right near the catcher and the hitter. What about masks? They were wearing masks in South Korea. Did you see that news? South Korea is back on board starting baseball and then stopped and then started. Japan started, stopped, started, stopped. What happens if any player or anybody tests positive? No problem. We can quarantine and isolate that one player. We can find out every person that player showered with and quarantine that person. Find out everyone who used the same fork. We could use plastic. Quarantine them. The games go on. But we'll be providing live sports. We need it. We need normalcy. Baseball's been used like after 9-11 during World War II. 
when Gina Davis and Laurie Petty were playing. I miss you, Penny Marshall. Now let's talk money. So what about an agreement between the Players Association and the players when you've got an agent like Scott Boris saying, hey, this is a great plan? I mean, by the way, it's a lagging indicator. When that man says it's a great plan, that means it's obviously a non-starter. But forgetting that, let's say the games go on in front of no fans. Well, there's a tiny bit of money missing from baseball, the $11 billion industry. Let's just call it, for math purposes, a third of the money comes from fans who actually come to games, buy tickets, concessions, parking, corporate sponsors, the like. Let's just say a third. And let's just say for math, three and a half to four bill. So that money's not going to come to teams, which then means that teams who have a lot of local revenue, who share that revenue through revenue sharing with teams who don't have as much local revenue, will all of a sudden have less revenue to share, which means the recipients of that revenue sharing will receive fewer dollars, which means the payroll that they thought they can afford, they can no longer afford. Hmm. I think we got to think about that for a minute. Because let's think back to a team I used to work for, the Montreal Expos. Long before I got there, something happened that I was blamed for, shockingly. There was a strike in 94, no World Series. The Expos with Pedro Martinez, Larry Walker, Randy Johnson, one of the best teams. One of the best teams in the league. Games come back 95 after a bit of time. Started in April after the strike was settled. Some of you may recall if you can name, I got another good trivia question for you if you want a shout-out because we have a shout-out coming later in this show. Here's my next shout-out. Coca, should I just shout-out for Lou in Miami right now? Should I just get it done? All right, I'm going to do it. This is a shout-out to Lou in Miami who got the trivia question right, and I couldn't remember what it was yesterday. Thanks for listening to the show. Lou in Miami correctly said, when I said, name the movie that starred the man who also starred in Dodgeball, where the Bill Withers song, Lean On Me, was so relevant and important. The movie was 28 Days with Sandra Bullock. The actor's name was Alan Tudyk, T-U-D-Y-K. Pronunciation, don't know. Lou in Miami, you got it? I got another one for you. Would you believe I have no idea the trivia question that I had for you? I had an entire trivia question, and Coca let me get off the subject. Coca, what was it? Anything? Nah, let's get back to revenue sharing. Let's get back to the Marlins. Let's get back to economic disparity. Let's get back to the fact, here it is, thank you. Got their Expos. So the Expos in 1995, they had to make a bunch of trades. Part of those trades involved trading away some of their best players. Randy Johnson, Larry Walker, Pedro Martinez. There is a possibility that if the season does begin and there is not the amount of local revenue that was expected, that teams such as the Marlins will have to cut payroll before the season even begins. That's a problem. Second economic issue. How many players are needed to play in 112 degree heat? How many players are required on a roster? Well, here's how it works. When you play doubleheaders and tripleheaders, I've never played a tripleheader, let's just say doubleheaders, or extra inning games, you're on the phone to your minor league coordinators, and you're calling up players. The players are coming from minor league teams. The minor league teams are not going to be playing baseball. Therefore, you will need in Arizona, at the major league level, 
enough pitching that's ready to go day after day after day. That means the roster size of 26, which was supposed to be the roster size, up one from last year, will have to be 30, 35, 40, maybe even more than 40, which is more than you have on your roster to start with. You'd have to call up every member of your 40-man roster, which means the quality of pitching is going down and service time is going up. What do I mean by that? It means that you're calling people up to your roster faster than you otherwise would. You're calling people up to the big leagues faster. You're adding people to your 40-man roster faster because when injuries come, you're going to have to replace those people on the roster for minor leaguers who are currently home which means the minor leaguers have to come to the new spring training in Arizona, which means they have to be quarantined too. Are you beginning to get my drift of the problems that can happen with a plan before it's completely flushed out? Which is why baseball chose not to leak this information and why they were forced to walk it back. Too many issues they haven't even started. This absolutely applies to all sports, by the way. I just would like to point that out to you. This is not just baseball. These are the issues that they're thinking about in basketball, the issues they're thinking about in football, the issues in hockey. How do we come back? Everyone wants to be first. You heard the call yesterday. People laughed. I hope you were entertained by the commissioner's phone call with President Trump. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, if you didn't laugh, then I'm not funny which may be true. But in any case, I digress. Every sport wants to be first, except the way this is going to work is completely different. When we return to normalcy, there's going to be an unveiling of activities. Sports will not be the first thing. We need people getting back to work. Now, who is the one guy who doesn't understand what's real and doesn't understand anything other than total self-interest, total tone deaf, simply ridiculous. On three, we're going to say it. Everyone in the studio audience on three. Ready? One, two, three. What? No, it's not the WWE. It's the UFC. Dana White. I talked about him this morning on CBS Sports HQ. It's streaming all the time, 24-7. It's free. It's awesome. I actually played the part of an anchor today, and I actually interviewed myself for a segment on baseball. I was the anchor saying, hi, this is David Sampson with CBS Sports HQ. Let's bring in our first guest to talk about MLB situation in Arizona, CBS Sports MLB analyst, David Sampson. David, hello. Yes, Hello. Nothing personal, you know. I'm there. Easy, interviewing myself. We got to talk about UFC today, and it was awesome, because you know what he's doing? He's going full Ricardo Monteblan. Deplane, Deplane, boss, Deplane, like Dana White's coming out in his white suit, living on Fantasy Island. Here come the guest stars, Jacqueline Smith, Kate Jackson, Gavin McLeod, Angela Lansbury. Fantasy Island? What am I talking about? Are you okay, David? Is the quarantining getting to you? No. You guys write the material for me. It writes itself. 
Dana White is purchasing a private island to hold UFC international events. He's going to build an entire city of infrastructure. He's going to house everybody, test everyone, keep them there, and you've got yourself from some live sports. Did you get that? Dana White wants to. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Dana White who's hosting UFC 249 on April 18th. That is exactly 11 days from today. And he is hosting 249. Do you know where? It's right where you live. It's in your backyard. Get ready. You're having live sports right where you are. Dana White tweeted, I will be holding UFC 249 somewhere on planet Earth. What? Explain to me how this works. Explain to me how this man gets to be in the room where it happens on calls with the president of the United States. He is holding an event somewhere on planet Earth and doesn't want to tell anyone and doesn't want any media to be there, yet is taking all the attention for himself. And then once they do this event on Earth, they're then going to move to some private island. I assume they got it out of bankruptcy from Nicolas Cage or Johnny Depp, maybe even from Richard Branson. Maybe. I think Cocos said something funny. He said, Elon Musk, is that the Tesla guy who does rockets into space and we all buy tickets to go to the moon or something? That'll be perfect. Maybe that's where UFC should go, on the moon. Can you imagine flying in everybody to an island, keeping them all there? Do you know what that's called? Alcatraz. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. So, you want to talk to Samson. It's actually a serious one. I don't know how this happened. Uh, yesterday there was an announcement. So you want to talk to Samson is... Uh, the segment where you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. And uh, someone said the following, David, how would you handle the NBA Hall of Fame induction so that Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan get their proper due and still be tasteful and recognizing the reality of Kobe Bryant's death? Should the Hall of Fame ceremony be another memorial for Kobe? It's an interesting question. The NBA Hall of Fame announcements were made, I think, yesterday maybe the day before, and three members will go into the Hall of Fame, one posthumously, Kobe Bryant, and Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. I want to focus a little bit on this issue. <clears throat> if I were running the Hall of Fame, this is, this is how you have to think about it. 
On February 24th, there was a great memorial, memorable. It seems like a year ago, doesn't it? That was only February 24th, a little over a month ago, when everyone was crowded into the Staples Center, where Jimmy Kimmel led an event where if you weren't crying, you don't have tears. Beautifully spoken words about the tragic death of Kobe, his daughter, and seven other human beings. That was the memorial. The Hall of Fame is different. The Hall of Fame is there to recognize the careers of the all-time greats. All you have to do is look back a couple of years to Major League Baseball, and that's exactly how I would handle it, because Roy Halladay was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Roy Halladay was a pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, the same guy who threw a perfect game against the Marlins, and then I sold tickets after the fact that had not been sold to people who wanted keepsakes. Because after something like a perfect game, so many people say, hey, I was there, even though they weren't. So I'm going to provide an actual ticket that they buy so they can say they were there when they weren't. And I get to count it as attendance and its revenue. Boy, did I get crushed for that. And I thought it was brilliant. I deserved a raise for that. Well, Roy Halladay died a tragic death in a plane crash and then was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And his wife was there and his wife gave a speech. And it was incredibly tasteful and did not in any way take away from any of the other inductees that year. The only reason why I can't name the other inductees the same year that Roy Halladay was brought in is I didn't think that I would mention Roy Halladay while I was answering the Kobe Bryant. That shows you that this show is real. This is happening right now. There's no takes. This is me talking to you. And it's exactly what happened in baseball because that's what I would do. I want it to be tasteful, but I'm not taken away from Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan's going to be recognized, and he's going to go first. Kevin Garnett's going to go second. I'm going to end with Kobe. I don't want to go the other way around because if you go Kobe first, it sort of casts a sort of cloud over the proceeding. Tim Duncan deserves to have his own moment. In many ways, everyone get ready because I think Ruben, the digital line producer, You know him, the sneaker guy. I think his Twitter is at I'm a sneaker guy. There's an opportunity for Tim Duncan to be overlooked as being a better, more successful player than Kobe Bryant. Wait a minute. Everyone stay calm. Is it possible that I believe that Tim Duncan is better than Kobe Bryant? I'm telling you it's a discussion. Tim Duncan is one of the all-time greatest players in the history of the NBA. This is a Hall of Fame induction. I don't want to take that away from him. I'm not penalizing Kobe or his wife, his widow, or his remaining children, or his family, or Lakers fans. None of it. But this is not the appropriate time for a memorial. It's going to be mentioned. It's going to be mentioned. Duncan, Garnett, it's a wait to see that's not in my wait to see. It should be a wait to see. I didn't think of it to be a wait to see today. I have a different wait to see. But the actually, this is a better wait to see, Coca. Here's my wait to see. This is happening in real time on Nothing Personal. The order of the induction for the NBA Hall of Fame, whenever that will actually happen in Springfield, Mass., will be Tim Duncan, Kevin Barnett, and then Kobe Bryant. That's the order. By the way, I don't want to waste any of Coca's research. You know the year Halliday went in. It was Mariano Rivera. You know that. Okay, so you want to talk to Samson. Did I say Kevin Barnett or Garnett? I'm getting it in my ear from Coca that I said Barnett. Of course, it's Kevin Garnett. 
I watched him play. So that was a good question. And I agree that it can be tasteful. There will absolutely be tears shed for Kobe Bryant during the Hall of Fame. Why wouldn't there be? But it will also be a day to celebrate, celebrate his career. Okay. Ooh, I watched something the other day. I think it was yesterday. Uh, We got to talk about it. It was scary. Scary. I watched something called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. How to Fix a Drug Scandal is a four-part series whose sole purpose – hold on. I'm looking for something that I can't find. Found it. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll tell you what this is. Most people do this off the air, but I'm doing it right now during the show. It's a handkerchief, not for blow, not for show. It's actually for wipe. This beard that I'm growing for the beer challenge, which, by the way, is day 23, is causing me to schwitz a little more than I would ordinarily schwitz. Plus the fact that there's a light now, brighter, so you can see me. That's a positive. Negative is that it makes me sweat just a little bit more, and I've been in the blazer and the shirt for multiple hours today. Now, if you're listening to this, you're saying, why would he be in a blazer and a shirt? Well, there's a video part, as you know and you've heard, by going on YouTube. Of course, none of this has anything to do with how to fix a drug scandal. How to fix... A drug scandal. It's a double entendre. Get it? A fix? I didn't know anything about this going in. I thought this was about opiates and the abuse of opioids. It's way worse. Here's how it works when you commit a crime. Let's say that you are charged with criminal possession and intent to distribute cocaine. They confiscate the cocaine from you, so I've heard. I'm clean. You can check it. They confiscate the drug from you. And then in order for the prosecution basically for you to get sent to jail or to be charged, the district attorney has to take the case from the investigators, from the police, and then they charge you with a crime. The name of the crime would be State versus John Doe. Now, in order for them to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you had an intent to possess and distribute cocaine, what is the one thing that you need to guarantee that you did not confiscate sodium chloride, salt, that you didn't confiscate powdered sugar, that you actually confiscated cocaine. So how do you do that? You take the cocaine and you send it out to a drug lab. In the drug lab, people test the cocaine or the substance, and then they write down, yes, this is heroin, yes, this is cocaine, yes, this is marijuana, yes, this is mushrooms, yes, this is meth, yes, this is liquid meth, yes, this is something else, LSD, PDQ, ROA, DOA, DUMB. So once it's tested, it gets given back to the district attorney and says, proceed, that gets shown to the jury, or it makes someone plead guilty because they were intending to distribute the substance and it was cocaine. Now what happens if the person in the lab, instead of testing the cocaine, snorts it? or instead of testing the cocaine, pretends to test the cocaine to try to get a raise by doing more tests than anybody else in the lab and just makes it up, looks at it and says, that's cocaine, that's a mushroom, that's a cloud, that's a problem. Well, it turns out in Massachusetts, two separate women employed at two separate labs in the state of Massachusetts, one in East Mass, one in West Mass, ask Affleck and Damon, which is which, or Wahlberg, Mark, that is, not Donnie. Actually, you should be able to ask Donnie just as well. So what you do is the lab has messed up all 
all of the tests. None of them are good. None of them will last beyond a reasonable doubt. There is no way to prove that the person who was storing the cocaine, basically taking the drugs, literally, they would be dropped off. She would, (coughs) I can't even, I can't even. Excuse me. She would snort the cocaine and then refill the bag with other stuff. And then do tests high as a kite. But the Massachusetts attorney general said, hey, that was only two months. Everyone keep calm. She was right, except it was almost 10 years. This impacted tens of thousands of defendants who had pled guilty or were found guilty by a jury of his or her peers and had been sent to jail. In thousands of cases, they had served their time already, been out of jail, living a life, and they tried to get their basic convictions vacated. This is a major, major story. So they did a documentary, and all I can tell you is that you better watch it, and here's why. When you're in a position where you actually have power over other people's liberty, don't you think maybe there should be some checks and balances to make sure there aren't any rogue chemists or rogue detectives? That's called internal affairs in a police department. Because when you have the power to take away someone's liberty, that is the greatest power of all time. There is no greater power. I don't care how much money Bill Gates has. I don't care about any of it. The greatest power lays lies. The greatest power exists. I will get back to you on lays versus lies. The greatest power exists in the ability to take away someone's liberty. Yet in these labs, there was nothing. Watch this, please. It's called how to fix a drug scandal and it better be fixed. I'm coming to you virtually right now. I don't know what that means. Coco, am I actually virtual? I I think I'm here. Like I, I can feel myself. I can feel the puddle that I'm sitting in. I can feel my feet are actually on a towel right now that is literally soaking wet. But I don't think I'm virtual. And I'm asking because the NFL is conducting a draft on April 23rd completely in a virtual world. Now, what that means is that no one will be together. That means that if you've got 32 teams and they've got 30 scouts and front office people and owners and presidents and everyone else, you've got 900 people in 900 places because they're all practicing social distancing. So each team will be connected to 30 other people within his or her organization. Then they'll be connected to the main commissioner's office. Then they're going to show us on TV them picking a name out of a hat. I'm not saying scouts don't do their job well. I'm not saying it's easy because it's impossible. It's just hard. They're going to pick a name, choose a name. You can pick your friend's nose, but you can't choose your family. Wait, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't choose your friend's nose. Yeah, I think I'm mixing a few metaphors. Maybe a simile or two, if I'd use like or as. How's this going to work? Why is Roger Goodell doing a virtual draft? What is the rush? Well, he wants some TV revenue. I get it. But people are starting to bark. The number one bark is a raven. Ravens don't bark. I think they chirp. I actually don't know what ravens do. John Harbaugh wins Super Bowls. That's what he does. Coca just whispered, caw. Like, caw, caw. 
Is that really what Ravens do, Coca? Do you have any idea if that's true? Any idea? Yeah, whatever. We'll go with Caw. John Harbaugh is the coach for the Ravens, won a Super Bowl, and he went public today with a butte. He said, and I quote, I really can't quote it. I just know it's in my head. We've got some concerns about the cybersecurity of this virtual draft. He was assured that everything is safe and secure, yet at the same time, he's got great worries. Why would he have worries? Because I've been in sports before, and guess what every team is trying to do right now? They are doing everything they can to both secure their wall and see if anybody else's wall is able to be penetrated. Because if you can grab any edge, you think for one second the New England Patriots are not going to try to hack into other teams' databases? You think for one second they're, that every team's not going to look to find an advantage? You're going to say I'm being controversial. You're going to say I'm being wrong. You're going to say I'm being absolutely irresponsible. Say it. Bring it. I've been there. You saw what the Cardinals did to the Astros years ago. There is hacking that happens. We pretend we don't know. We pretend we're not paying attention. We pretend we don't want to do it. Oh, someone comes to me with new IT information. Oh, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to close my eyes. Yeah, my fingers are over my eye while it's sort of open, and then I'm blinking it, but then I'm opening it. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, wait a minute. I'm third and four. This is the play they're going to? Oh, they want to draft Tua in the five hole? Interesting. Then I'm going to call and say, I'm going to call them and say, hey, we're about to take Tua in the four hole. Unless you want to make a trade, you're not going to get Tua. I think you get my drift. There are a lot of situations and a lot of problems that can happen when you're practicing social distancing. We've already seen Zoom have an issue with privacy. We already saw that people can hack their way onto Zoom. It's called Zoom hijacking. You saw what happened to Keandre Miller, the player for the Rangers, the prospect for the New York Rangers hockey team who did a 500-person Zoom with fans, and someone got on there in the comments section and started spewing racial slurs. Can you imagine what little infinitesimal piece of crap you are that you hack into someone's Zoom for the purpose of giving racial slurs? That's what you are? That's the pun scum that you are? If you're going to hack into a Zoom, get some info. Find out who's going to be drafted. Get me a vaccine for COVID. Tell me what the market's going to do. Racial slurs? Come on. John Harbaugh's got a situation and he's right, but this means Roger Goodell has a bigger situation. Roger Goodell has to prove to 32 owners, 32 coaches, 32 presidents, 32 GMs. That's 128 people I was counting as I was going, that there is absolutely no problem at all with security, that the firewalls are firm, padded, foamed, and that everything's going to go fine. And then somehow 31 of those people have to believe that the Patriots are going to do the right thing. Eh, Wait to see. ML Beer Challenge, day 23. Day 23 involves some schwitz. That's two schwitzes. Here's what we're doing today. We're taking $1,000. We're giving it to the San Francisco Giants. San Francisco Giants, San Francisco. Yeah, they got, they're hosting that PGA event. Remember the wait to see from yesterday. They're a team that the Marlins beat in 97 and 03 on the way to the World Series. And I've got a story for you. I want to take you back to 2003. Wild card. 
Marlins against the 100-win Barry Bonds-led San Francisco Giants. Huge underdogs going into San Francisco for the first two games. It's a 2-3 back, 2-2-1. Two games in San Fran. Schlepp all the way back to Miami, two games a pro player, and then back to San Francisco for a game five. Game one happens. Marlins lose game one. And I'm thinking we made the playoffs. How great it is that we that we just made it to the playoffs. I was in San Francisco. I was loving every minute of it. I'm in the tunnel, had been in the clubhouse after the game, patted a few people on the bum, said, hey, we'll get him tomorrow. Said a few things to Jack, stepped outside, ran into the owner of the Giants, who at that time was someone named Peter McGowan, who has recently passed away. Peter McGowan was someone who was not short on confidence And this is not speaking ill of the deceased. I wouldn't do it. I'm telling you a real story that happened. Peter McGowan came up to me as I was in the tunnel in between the clubhouses at what was then, I guess, AT&T. Maybe it was Pac Bell back then. And he said, David, good to see you. You've had one hell of a season. And I said, Peter, thank you so much. We then won three straight games. We won that series Against all odds, we won game two in San Francisco, flew back, won game three, won game four on one of the greatest innings to a playoff series ever. A single, a blown save. Ugether being a single to left field, Jeff Conine comes up with it, throws out JT Snow at the plate. What's interesting is the series ends. We are celebrating the clubhouse, no goggles, not popping champagne. Back then, you win your division series, you're going on to the LCS. It's not a champagne fest the way it is now. Now, you're doing champagne for anything. Clinch a playoff, champagne. I'm in for that. Win the wild card game, champagne. Meh. Win the division series, champagne. Eh. Win the pennant. You're damn right, champagne. And win the World Series, too. Peter McGowan comes up. He looks at me. He extends his hand to say congratulations. And I said, Peter congratulations. You guys had one hell of a season. He didn't smile. I will never forget the look on his face. He didn't take us seriously. He assumed it was done. Done. Turns out it was done, except the other way. Turns out that the Marlins were going on to win the World Series, beating a 100-win team. It taught me a lesson the San Francisco Giants did, and they're going to do well with this $1,000 we're giving them as part of the ML Beer Challenge. And the lesson was very simple. In baseball, in sports, in life, he who counts his chickens before they hatch is sure to have an eggless egg. Or is it a chickenless egg? I think it's a chickenless egg. You get my picture. Do you know what I wish I could have said to Peter McGowan back then? Hey, Peter. This would have been perfect. Peter, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.